Hello and welcome back to The Miscast, where we examine the latest news, spicy brews, and strategy in CDH. I am your host, Drake Sasser, and with me today is two guests. First of all, it's my co-host, Mikey Hollihan. How you doing today, Mikey? Good. How are you doing, Drake? I'm doing awesome. Normally I have a fancy title for you, but I couldn't think of anything. Uh, we'll just go with like Ranch Hater. Ranch Hater, I think, is appropriate. I, I want all of Twitter to come after you about hating ranch because that's completely unacceptable and i don't think we can do this podcast anymore uh yeah i mean i'm completely fine with dying on that hill because ranch is trash yeah okay great 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 all right twitter we're gonna put some polls up or something we're gonna get this figured out because we all know mikey's wrong but you know we need it we need it in writing anyways (laughs) with me today is a very special guest it is a azorius master in cedh ben better known as whimsy how are you today uh, I am I am pretty good. We're still coming down off of the kind of height and crazy weekend of uh, Marchesa, but uh, everything is going great, and I am super happy to be here. Yeah, there's been a ton of discussion about uh, some of the Marchesa stuff. Overall, it seems to be a pretty resounding success, and uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of hands that kind of worked on it, and that's really impressive, and that's really good to hear. Um, seems like it was a, a really fun event for everyone involved, and. Uh... Yeah, did not get one by Blue White, sadly. Uh, you know, maybe yeah, if you were battling. <laughs> uh, Could have had a Blue White winner, but uh, glad glad that event went off awesome. And uh, yeah, glad you're back safely. Cool. So we have three people here today, so we're not going to go through as much of the what we're working on. Uh, do you work on Blue White basically every week? I, I do kind of want to touch on that before we dive right into talking about Azorius in CEDH. Is that just all you work on, just all the time in CEDH, Clemson? Um, Yeah, I've been working on Blue White pretty much nonstop. I get a lot of pings on Discord about it. Uh, pretty much everywhere I am, I only play one non-blue white deck and if i'm not playing the colors combined i'm working on usually a white deck or a blue deck um but but i very rarely venture out of those colors it has yeah, to be yeah, something so, very very special for me to do so an interesting statistic how many underworld breaches slash dock sides combined have you cost have you cast i'm sorry um giving you a number on that's pretty difficult um but I will tell you the number is not very high. Yeah, is it over under on like a hundred? I feel like a hundred's like a, a pretty standard, like I'm deep into CDH number. Well well, the only deck I play that's not blue white happens to be Jund. It is about as far away from that as you can get. So Sure, yeah, just literally excluding your color combinations. <laughs> yeah, so I've been casting a lot more of those recently. So so I'm getting my wheels um on for for those colors, so to speak. Sure, he sure. has rookie numbers right now. He'll he'll get up to the Grixis gang numbers soon. Yeah, Mikey, have you ever cast a silence in your life? I don't know that I've ever seen you play a white deck ever. You're just always Grixis. What are you talking about? I played Evo. Play a lot of Evo. Oh, that's right, that's right. You did you did play a little cast bit a of Evo. Cast a number of silences. Okay, all and right. Captains and all that jazz. Sure, sure. Ranger captains. Uh-huh. I bet you've probably cast as many of those as he's cast Underworld Breaches. All that's right, about fine. Right. All right, well, let's dive in. Yeah, let's dive into some Azorius uh, CDH magic. There's quite a bit of stuff going on with Azorius. That's why we're doing an entire episode on it. And, of course, we had to bring on uh, the blue-white expert himself. Uh, So to start off with, let's talk about why are we doing this? Like, what are the strengths of being in blue-white? Why should we play it? Yeah, so um, I've I've had this conversation a 
bit because when you talk to people in CDH, right, you kind of always have to justify what you're doing to people in some mm -hmm. capacity because it's like, well, why are we not just going to play four color partners, right? So the the real strengths that you get of kind of playing Azorius uh, re really, really boils down to three points to me all the time. Um, the first one that we always kind of talk about is you're very, very good at controlling the game, right? Your entire deck is going to be loaded up with like counter magic, draw spells, value engines, and like stack pieces, right? So you're just going to keep refilling, keep going. Um, and that flows kind of right into the second point of because you're doing these things, it's very, very good at stopping people from winning or creating a lot of tension in game space where it makes it very, very difficult for people to win because they know you're probably sitting on interaction, so people have to slow down a bit, right? Or they'll just get blown out by a counterspell, and then the next person wins, and then they end up losing. Um, and then all of these pieces together end up giving you decks that are highly tunable to your individual metas. So it's 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 very, very strong kind of identifying what you're going to be playing against and then specifically going after those decks with your range of stacks pieces, counterspells, and other forms of interaction that you want to use. Yeah, I think those are some some pretty good points. When you think of blue white, I mean, you think of like Azorius in Magic, like in general, it's always kind of pitched towards control, like you know, counter spells, sweepers, removal spells, etc. Um, which of course always leads towards you know, denying people from winning the game, controlling the game, etc. But I admit I have played actually zero blue white decks in CDH. I've never played a blue white, just like strictly only blue white CDH deck. It's always been you know whatever four or five colors usually, I mean, or mono red, you know, I love my Bergy cards, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know actually very much about what the context of like winning the game in a blue white uh, with a blue white strategy in CDH looks like that much. Cause honestly, there's not even that many in, in the pods I play. Like you and I, I don't think actually our schedules line up that well. We don't normally play pods together very much in the servers we share. So from my experience, I haven't actually seen the, the texture of games when they play out where, where the blue-white decks are going on to win the game. So I think this is going to be a, a really interesting discussion, and I like a lot of the points you've already made. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, I definitely think we have kind of a lot more to kind of discuss than people realize about the blue-white uh, the, the, the colors, because a lot of people really just kind of boil down the discussion to the colors are bad, win cons are bad, you can't win the game, right? But I'm sure Mikey can chime in here with the hundreds if not thousands of games we played at this point of just like nope i'm gonna shuffle up my cards and we're gonna move to the next one because he is definitely winning here um yeah. yeah there's been so many times where people are just like oh he's on new weight he can't win and i'm just like no we're dead and i was like do you have interaction They're like no what's he gonna do and i'm like we're dead like um it's when i transmuted a, a model the mixture someone at the tables so they're like what's he gonna get a thali i was like no he's getting oracle he has like 15 mana he's gonna paradigm shift us we're dead fed his smothering tithe because he didn't think he could do anything so turn one they gave him like 15 million mana and i was just like yeah we're we're, we're kind of gone i don't know what you want <laughs> i do say i will say two. i think i think paradigm shift is extremely underrated i don't know if that's a staple of all blue white we can probably get into that in a, in a minute or two but i bought one of those anticipating that it would be really played in cdh in the sans black decks and you see surprisingly not very much of it i mean Inverter Thoracle had to get banned in Pioneer because it was too powerful, and that's whatever four mana paradigm shift. Um, and so it seems to me it's like, okay, if you're not in black, paradigm shift seems great. It seems like it's close enough, especially if you know you can keep your graveyard clear with things like rest in peace, which I'm sure you have in in uh blue white strategies, uh being without underworld breach. So like it just seems 
pretty easy to line up overall, but you know, I don't see as much of it. And I think a lot of that is due to my extreme lack of experience with playing with Bloyd uh, CDH decks, but it sounds like Mikey has died to it uh, plenty of times to, uh, to know what's going on there. Yeah. Like it's a very underrated card in CDH right now. It's just like really oh, like right off the colors. Think that it doesn't have any win cons or like the win cons are bad and, not that they're bad, like they might take a little bit of extra setup and they might cause a little bit more thinking because obviously Paradigm Shift isn't as easy as Console plus Oracle because you need to make your grave, make sure your graveyard's clear. You can do stuff as we'll get into later with like Future Sight and like casting stuff off the top. But like there's a lot of potential there. You just need to think a little bit harder. It's not as easy as the A plus Bs that we do in the Grixis gang, but they still <laughs> work and they are still A plus B combos that just win that are very efficient and they're super easy to tutor for. Paradigm Shift being two mana is so relevant because Muddle gets it. On top exactly, of all like yeah. your tutors, like Mystical Tutor and such. Uh, Step Through coming out, I think, was a big bump for Blue White because having another wizard, wizard Cycle card that only costs two, that helps you find your Oracles, helps you find your Spell Seekers, Value Engines and Mage, Stacks, Pieces, and Drannets. So it's a deck that I feel, an archetype where I feel you always have a ton of options and you really need to tailor it to the table and adjust your game plan. Like, is this a place where I can try to go fast in this win turn two as Whimsy's done, or is this where I just need to get a Dranith or an Archmage out and just vibe until it's time for me to go off because I'm controlling the board. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Well, it sounds like there's a lot There's a lot to like. Let's talk about what's not to like. What we got of the weaknesses of playing blue-white. Obviously, I mean, no red, no black. Those got to be huge. I mean, those cards are, you know, at this point, very, very infamous for how powerful they are in CDH. But what else we got going on? Yeah, so not not having the the, the black-red core just, just definitely kind of shorts you on some power. Um, but, but the weaknesses of your decks in, in, in blue-white are pretty universal. Um, so you, you end up playing a lot of games based on, like, the common mistakes and play patterns that you would try to apply to other things. You kind of have to play blue-white in a very unique kind of way. Um, I've, I've tried to give a bunch of friends of mine, like, some of my blue white decks on occasion and there's like i don't understand how you win so frequently on this right because because it's really hard to adjust your play pattern and find your windows uh to 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 play your cards and to kind of play around what other people are doing um and ultimately the the colors just like very honestly are not very time efficient right so like you really have to always be planning like several steps ahead and playing very very like tightly to get where you need to be um and Something I actually made kind of a Twitter thread not long ago about was that the colors are not actually traditionally able to play stacks very effectively, which is very, very like weird to say. But if you think about kind of how stacks and CDH work right now, um, a lot of it is green based, right? Because you want to play things like Collector Oof, but like we don't have the dorks, so all of our mana is tied into kind of uh, artifact mana production. And we don't really have good like highly statted creatures we're playing things like grand arbiter lavinia like even your rule of laws or like archon of amaria and stuff like that so you'll often just get beaten to death by a crumb because you just don't have the biggest thing on the board which is what these stacks games kind of warp into um and then if you want to play the other effects like thalia or those kind of like thorn of amethyst tax effects you really want to be getting to a point in your games where you're multi-spelling and you're so blue heavy in these colors because it is just the best color in your two that like it's very very hard to play your own spells through your own thalia and really progress your game plan in a way that wants to move forward so you have good stacks pieces but they don't really align with the goals of your like colors and being in the blue white color identity 
Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And honestly, I think that transitions us pretty well into the misconceptions because I definitely thought of blue white like when i thought of okay what is blue white going to do in cdh when i first started approaching the format and even today it's like what is the best thing best things at least that blue white has to offer in my mind like as someone that has played zero cdh decks or against zero cdh decks that are only blue white in the format my perception of the color combination and the playable viable commanders are always that they're very stack based you know i know people try grand arbiter things i know people try like lavinia things like these to me are very very like iconic stacks pieces and so it's like okay there's just stacks decks right there's stacks decks that like are looking to win the game with some like big chungus i don't know what that actually means manifests into but i really like this these points you brought up about handing your deck to other people and they just don't really understand what to do with it because i feel like i would be in the same boat because i would try to treat it like just a traditional stacks uh like strategy and run into a lot of the pitfalls that you've just uh mentioned and i think that you see that in 60 card formats a lot too where people will try to just copy and paste deck lists from things like whatever the pro tour or just some random tournament or whatever. And they'll play like a league on magic online and they'll just lose a bunch of like, okay, it's decks unplayable. I have no idea how they won. They must be a God. And the, the real, what's really at work there is that a big part of deck building and part of the art of deck building involves having a concrete plan. Like what is your deck trying to do? How do you envision these cards lining up against cards that you will commonly see uh, when you're playing games, pods, whatever, how do you envision your cards lining up against your opponent's cards? And how does that manifest itself into a victory down the line? And you're the person that makes those calls. You're the person that builds the decks those ways. And you're, you know, you're the one that makes that plan up and has that vision. Other people don't see that. So they just start casting stuff when they think it's correct, even though you may hold it for something different. Happens in 60 card formats all the time. I suspect it's probably what's at work here with, uh, with your blue white strategies. Uh, yeah, that 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 definitely feels feels very correct. I know I had several games uh, this last weekend at at the Marchesa venue uh, when I was just playing with some friends that I knew there, um, and they looked at me when I was playing the game and like, oh, I finally understand how this yeah, works. Yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. They 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 kind of looked at me and they're like, oh, you're 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 not actually trying to win very quickly, right? Like you're actually kind of taking a very slow methodical approach to this, to where like all of the pieces just kind of eventually line up and you go, okay, I just went here. Right. And, 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 and that's a very hard strategy to kind of change when you're used to just being, here's my breach or here's my console, here's my Oracle games over. Right. You can yeah. always close the game in kind of a moment's notice, but blue white has a much harder time doing that. We still can here and now, but it's not like our primary strategy. So you really have to change the way you think and the way you approach the way you navigate inside of these games. Yeah, that's why the list gets so much hate because people look at the list and it's like, why are you playing all these cards? Like, these are bad. Like, you don't play them anywhere else. It's like, yeah, you don't play them anywhere else because we have access to easy wins. So we need to piece them together more like drawn out way, but we're really good at controlling the game. So it's all good. Very, very reasonable. All right. So yeah, let's talk about some, some other misconceptions. Cause you know, like I said, my, my personal misconception about it is that, you know, all the decks are basically just like pure as, you know, as isolated stacks as possible. And it sounds like that's very much not true. Um, yeah. What are some other misconceptions that we have about blue white as a strategy? Uh, so, so the first one I touched on earlier is kind of the joke of like, oh, these colors are just unplayable. Right. Um, that's that, that, has been I think pretty clearly demonstrated to not be the case by me because I've I've blued pro I've brewed probably every blue blue white commander out there and have won games on it with the exception of like Raynar because he died 
within like a week of being <laughs> printed. But like that's a much different story. Um, but people think it's unplayable, and 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 the thing that it comes down to is you just have to evaluate all your cards differently and very clearly determine what your game plan is going to be in every pod. Um, is the deck going to be weaker than something that probably has more colors and a more like efficient win cons? Probably. And I think everyone could universally agree on that. Um, but if you really want to put in the time and effort and kind of make something really playable that you can work on, um, it is it is definitely possible to do so. Um, and that kind of all relays through your just importance of deck building decisions, considerations, and how you want to approach the game when you are dealing with kind of a more limited card pool. Makes a lot of sense to me. All right. Well, we've we've talked a lot about kind of generic strengths, weaknesses, misconceptions about what's going on. Let's talk about like what you think are some of the the relevant, the more playable, like the actual like blue white decks people should have their eyes on when they're sitting down to CDH uh, CDH games. What's what's a little underrated? You know, is there anything overrated? Let's talk about some commanders here. Um, looks like first up on the docket is everybody's. I mean, this card has got to be. Uh, infamous can't even begin to talk about it like when you see this card in casual pods people start complaining about it off the bat and i mean it paints a very clear picture uh when you are when you're paired against it in cdh as well and that's uh grand arbor grand arbiter augustine what the fourth is it the fourth the I think fourth, it's the fourth. yeah but it is yeah, it is the right. fourth and it has been the fourth for the last 10 or 11 years that i've been playing that guy it is it is, <laughs> it is my favorite by far huh. so <laughs> All right. Well, tell me about some Grand Arbor. That card's basically the antithesis of everything I want to do in Magic, so I'll let you take this one away. Um, that That is why he is uh, probably my favorite, because he is exactly antithetical to what everyone wants to be doing in CDH. Um, so when when we talk about like all of these commanders, I think the thing to keep in mind is the two important deck building considerations when we're playing blue-white is, to me, the way that I've kind of crafted all of my blue-white decks in this modern age where we have Dockside and Breach running around, is we want to have a high, eff a very, very high e efficacy of tutors, right? And we want very good layering in our win cons, right? Because our win cons aren't going to layer themselves the way that a Breach Brain Freeze Thoracle consult is right it's just not going to happen um so specifically when we talk about arbiter um we have several different versions that have floated around in cdh over the past several years um the main one for a very long time uh is curated by a friend of mine his name is david um and it's called smothering arbiter and the whole plan there is you play arbiter player smothering tithe get some wheels out, play Planeswalkers, get, like, value going, and then usually turn the corner with, like, Approach of the Second Sun or, like, Helm of the Host <laughs> or, like, or like uh, Rip rip Helm combo, right, and all of those things. Um, and then you have the version that I play now, which is called Ship Lash Arbiter, which is something that uh, uh, a friend of mine, many people know him, uh, Shaper, sent me at, like, 2 a.m. on a server and was like, hey, you should try this, and then we talked about it a bunch, and, and that's just kind of what I've enjoyed doing with the deck. Um, and then we've even seen decks like, uh, Rebels Grand Arbiter Beats deck, which just plays Arbiter, plays fat creatures like Dragonlord Ojutai, and just gets mad value and just beats you to death. Um, and the thing that this kind of highlights about Arbiter is Arbiter is so good of an effect 
just being a blanket one-man attacks to everything, all of these decks actually operate in the same way. You basically mulligan to a turn two Arbiter, play your Arbiter knowing you're going to get a turn three, play some sort of value engine, start grinding in turn four. Right. Um, so this this is actually kind of a funny story about it is all of these decks kind of disagreed with each other for a while about, well, I think this is good. I think this is good. And we were kind of out of throats. And Rebel just said, I think none of this matters. Arbiter's OP. Your win cons don't matter. Play whatever you want. Right? Like, I think that's I think that's really indicative of like a very important uh, kind of truth about Grand Arbiter. So a lot of times when you look at like the powerful commanders in the CEDH, they have a very concrete plan. And you know, I'm I'm gonna keep coming back to this because I think that's really if you're struggling to understand blue white decks or you want to pick up blue white decks, I think it's a really core uh, kind of fundamental thing you need to have down before you pick up any deck is what is its precise plan? Because otherwise you're going to do exactly what Whimsy just said you're going to do, where you're just going to try to play a bunch of spells at random times and you're going to die and be like, wow, this is the most unplayable thing I've ever seen. Uh, so you have to understand like the plan of the deck. But Grand Arbiter has such a loud declaration of its plan. Like it literally makes mana, which is one of the things, you know, that powerful CDH commanders do. Usually it's like makes mana, uh, is like some sort of engine in its own right to like winning the game, things like Najila, or it's a card advantage, things like Tim Necrom, etc. So like those are usually your big three. If your commander does one of those big three things, it's probably playable in CDH. And Grand Arbiter not only makes mana, but is actively disruptive in a meaningful way to your opponents at the same time. And that's, I yep. mean, that's really where the power of this card comes in. I mean, you really can, you could just read the card and figure it out. Yeah, this card's powerful. And like you said, I really, really like that point you brought up. It reminds me of uh, like a Paco Halden strategy. I was really impressed with that deck when I played against it the first few times. So it was like, okay, this is kind of like a meme, but it just gets such an overwhelming advantage over the course of the game. And I can see these games playing out uh, with like uh, the Rebels version of the deck in a very similar way where it's like, like you just said, it just doesn't matter. All your spells are near free. All your opponent's spells cost a million. And if you're just like doing things like Dragon Lord Ojitai, where you're just like getting the snowball advantage the entire time, you're just going to end up comically far ahead and nothing else matters. You don't need to do any fancy paradigm shift, Thoracle. Nobody cares. Just counter all their spells and beat them down with random mopey idiots and you're going to get there. Yeah, I mean, I think the other point to really like be kind of built upon that, right, is you mentioned that like Arbiter makes mana. Right. And, and he does. He has a discount. And that's often what I tell people. I kind of joke whenever I play him. I'm like, listen, I'm not playing him for the tax fight. I'm playing him for the discount. Yeah. It makes right? Cause, cause, <laughs> yeah. Cause, cause I mean, the thing that happens here, right, is we specifically talked earlier about, um, my, my card quality is less than yours, right? I have a smaller card pool. I have less good cards to choose from. Right. But the thing that happens when you are playing a commander that discounts all of your spells is now my card pool has gotten bigger. Right. Where Arbiter is playing things like Idyllic Tutor, Solve the Equation, right? Like, we just get two mana spell seeker, right? We get all of these things. We just get one mana Dranith, right? And all of these cards become so much more powerful because there's other decks that you're like, you're playing Idyllic Tutor. Why, why would you do that? Right. But in Arbiter, it's a two mana tutor for any enchantment that you want. And when your enchantments are Aristic Study or Smothering Tithe or for Shift Lash Arbiter, you can get Future Sight, you can get Thought Lash, you can get all these cards that win you the game. We're now talking about you have a very, very high card quality when you have Arbiter in play, and your entire game plan is just putting Arbiter in play. It also changes threat assessment a lot. I think this is why people misplay against the deck so much. 
is you might be used to playing against Aven when you need to tap three mana for it. Now it's only two. I've seen Whimsy get people like left and right with that. They're like, oh, I, I didn't even think that was possible. It's like, read the card. And same thing with like counter spells, because mana, like, as Whimsy was saying, all these cards that other decks don't play get a lot better, like Mana Leak. It becomes a lot better. Like, I play Miscast in all of my lists, and Mana Leak is just better Miscast when you're only paying one blue for it. And people just don't, aren't used to playing around these effects, and it's something that's really powerful, especially if you're like in a tournament setting playing all day. Like, you're just like, oh, they don't have three up. I, don't, I can tutor freely. And then you just get got. I appreciate the branding there, Mikey, playing miscast in all your decks. I'm going to call that out. <laughs> totally <laughs> intentional. It's important to have good branding on this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. I um, mean, <laughs> so. Yeah. Last point so, I want to make on, on Grand Arbiter and its disruptive effect. And I, I, like I said, I really, really like the way you're framing these talking points because I think they do a lot to allow you to draw connections from other places and specifically where i want to draw a connection is the format that is easily most often compared to cdh and that's legacy so you take a look at what grand arbiter does and all of the kind of talking points we've had so far if you compare grand arbiter's effect almost directly to what's going on with the death and taxes deck in legacy uh, and why Thalia uh, Guardian of Thraven is so, so disruptive in that format and how this mono white deck can exist in a format that has all these free free spells, Force of Will, Brainstorm, you know, Wasteland, like all these awesome effects. Now they get access to the Wasteland, but you, you know, you get the idea. You have all these super powerful cantrips, super powerful free cards, Gaze Cradle, just all this so insanely powerful stuff. And then you're registering like Aether Vial and creatures that cost two and three mana. It's like... It looks like such a drastic difference in power level, which is very much what's going on here, too. Like you said, all your cards just appear so much worse on paper and, frankly, are so much worse on paper. But the sum of the parts here winds up being disruptive enough to make all of these cards that are normally extremely cheap, efficient, and powerful, uh, you know, now very overcosted and underwhelming compared to the stuff that you're casting at the same mana costs. Yeah, that's 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 pretty much exactly i think sums it up right is um is people have a really hard time adjusting to all their spells costing one more right uh the the only argument that i get into with other arbiter players now is like well how much time exactly does this buy us right because there's some of us that say three turns there's some of us that say four turns there's a couple of people that like it buys us two turns maximum right so um it's definitely very very powerful and i think comparing it to thalia is exactly correct but I've also played a lot of Death and Taxes in Legacy, so unsurprisingly. Yeah, yeah there you go. All right, so let's move on. Let's talk about um, a little bit more about some of the other Grand Arbiter uh, kind of iterations we have before we move on to the next deck. So you mentioned a lot of different layering. Specifically, I heard you mention some stuff about uh, Future Sight and Thought Lash and Shift, Shift Lash and all that stuff. I don't know what's going on. I don't know the differences. Can you walk me through some of that? Yeah, so my my specific um, deck that I play is something that we call Ship Flash Arbiter, um, and the entire concept of the deck revolves around what I talked about earlier with our efficient layering of tutors and efficient layering of win cons. Um, and this is a conversation that I've had that I've had with David several times about we want our tutors to kind of do everything because we don't have the good black tutors. Um, so the way that this works is. Our original combo for the deck was Paradigm Shift Oracle. And we had originally played all three of the Lab Man effects. We had Jace Wilder Mysteries, Lab Man, and Oracle in there. And then we played um, Paradigm Shift and Thought Lash. And Thought Lash is just, 
an enchantment that lets you exile your library. It lets you prevent damage, but that's not really the intent of it. Um, it comes up very occasionally if games get really grindy. Um, and we kind of found that this combo wasn't really always getting there for us because the Jace is kind of clunky. Um, and then only having the Paradigm Shift and the Thought Lash wasn't quite enough. So we had originally transitioned into playing like Mirror of Fate to trying to get like a third effect, but that was just oh, wow. five mana. It was, it was yeah. really clunky. So I was, I was sitting one night just kind of thinking, and there's some very old Grand Arbiter tech. Um, where people just play Future Side and Arbiter because it costs four mana. And, um, you actually have a three card combo with Arbiter. So it's four cards total, which sounds absolutely crazy for CEDH, where you play Future Sight, you play Painter's Servant, and you play Sensei's Divining Top. And the Arbiter discounts your Sensei's Divining Top and you get to draw your whole deck. Right. Oh, it's so, the Alesha trick or the, the Bergy, yeah, yeah. whatever, two Bergy, well, Bergy plus her uh, backside trick. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So, so we're building our own uh, Elsha, right? But the thing that ends up happening here is Future Sight's a very, very good card on its own, right? So we're okay running it for a combo. It's a little overcosted, but uh, we have Reality Chip now, so woohoo! Um, Ooh, Painter's that's got to be a big upgrade. Yeah, wow, I didn't even think yeah, about that. It's it's very, very good. Uh, Painter's Servant in, in in Arbiter decks is actually just a mana rock, right? If you think about it, you just name either white or blue, and then all of your colorless spells now cost one less. And all of your white spells uh, would cost one less if you named blue, because they get double discounted off of Arbiter, because he has two different lines of text for his discounts. And then now your top is free, so you just draw your whole deck. Okay. So all of these cards are independently very, very good. So the combo doesn't feel bad to have in our deck, because we can just kind of slam them down whenever we want. Right. But then by doing this, we have our Shift Flash combo as kind of combo A, and we have our Future Sight combo as kind of combo B. And by putting them together, we now actually get a third combo in our deck where we can play Thought Lash and Future Sight. So now we know the top card of our deck, and if we don't like it, we can exile it, and we can keep doing this until we can play Fast Mana off the top of our deck, play Tutors off the top of our deck, play Silence off the top of our deck, and then just like cast the Thoracle off the top, or cast the Lab Man off the top, cast like a Cantrip, exile the rest of our deck, and call it a day. Yeah, that sounds that makes a lot of sense. Do you ever run into like the the thing that happens to Painter and Legacy sometimes, where you like if you name blue, you turn on like your opponents being able to pitch their lands to force a wills or being able to like pyroblast like anything at all on the table and like have that be problematic or or pyroblast just I, always just so good against you, it just doesn't matter anyway. Funnily enough, this past weekend I actually had a game where um, I had a read on the player next to me having like a pyroblast or something, and I had no interaction to him, so I. Played a painter servant and intentionally turned on that rev so that he could uh, start blasting things that I wouldn't be able to otherwise stop. So yes, it does. It does come up fairly frequently, actually, where 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 this is a thing. I've 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 done it to pitch my own lands to force of will. So that's, yeah, it's a clever trick. I always I always like that kind of stuff. All that weirdo interactions that come up in in uh, eternal formats like CDH and Legacy and what have you. So I just wanted to see how much you know Legacy actually does port, and it's it's cool to hear that that does actually matter and come up some amount of the time. Yeah, yeah, it comes up very very uh, rarely, but it does come up, and it's really funny when people see it happen. They're like, oh wait, you can do that. Um, but but the natural kind of way that the painter's servant stuff works with Arbiter is they don't really see it coming, and then they're like, oh wait, that just wins the game. You're like, yes, it does. Got him. So. Um, do you ever run like a grindstone with painter? That only kills like one player, right? But you said you mentioned Rip Helm. Does Rip Helm Rip Helm hit every player, or is that just one? Am I? I don't remember the text on Helm of Obedience at the no, moment. It's one at a time. Quite long. Yeah, 
Yeah, you, you merc one person and then do it again. That's part of the reason why Whimsy opts to do these other ones that just kill everyone at once. Yeah, that seems but so David, much better David, to me. Yeah. Yeah, but David just does this. Like, it still can work, so it's like you kill the person who's most ahead or most threatening. And sure. Obviously, yeah. sometimes you can guess wrong because it's like, but that person just had a breach in their hand and you, you thought the person who had like a bunch of permits on the field's in lead. So it still works. I, I agree with you. I think it's a little bit too slow. I think CDH, like, you just need to be killing everyone at once. Yeah, otherwise. you need to like, kill the table. You can't do this, like, one at a yeah. time stuff. Yes. Specifically for Arbiter, right? It's, it is actually the only place where I think this combo is, like, reasonable to be played. Is like, we want to be, like, Banner's Grindstone or Rip Helm, these things. Because of the thing, right? We're like, it doesn't actually matter because you're trying to go long anyway. Get your value engine online. Just oppress people with Arbiter. Um, so it just really comes down to kind of the flavor you want. I've I've thought about putting Rhinestone in the deck a couple times, taking it out, putting it in. Um, it's certainly not like bad. I just think there's better things I could probably be doing. Yeah, it's not a terribly great card on its own. Like whatever, you can reset your top or your future site some amount of the time, but that's still a million mana and it's probably just not what matters. Whatever. Just yeah. Play 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 anything at all. Like like Rebel figured out. Just put a ham sandwich in your deck to beat people down with. Your your powerful yeah. cards are going to do their powerful card things. Yeah, I mean, it's very different, I think, than something like Lavinia, right? Where, like, I think um, that, like, you you just can't play Rip Helm in Lavinia, right? Because pe people are going to get around you at some point, um, and and you don't really have a good use for the uh, things like Painter Servant in Lavinia or those kind of cards. And that's kind of actually why I don't play as much Lavinia, is because the uh, layering of your win cons isn't as tight as some of these other decks, like Arbiter or some of the other lists we're going to get into um, a little later. Yeah, sure. So, I mean, yeah, is there anything else we want to talk about with, uh, with our good friend Gave here? Uh, as it's commonly abbreviated with all of its giant long name before we move on uh, to some of these other decks you're mentioning. Uh, I, I, I don't really think I have anything else for Arbiter. It's just, it's a really fun deck and I've been playing it for a while. So, I mean, some something has to be working, right? I'm not just going to lose games for 10 years straight and just continue playing the deck. Yeah, I'd keep being like, yeah, this is fun and good. I'm going to talk about this on a podcast. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you on that. I'm with you on that. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, so if you want to grief Drake Sasser, a good deck to bring to the table. Grand Arbiter. Yeah. I will I will complain a lot just for you. Don't worry. It is It is also a very good Mikey griefer if he's choosing to play Anala, so... Keep that, yeah, that, was, that was a big joke because when Wimsy and I first met, I was like exclusively playing it all at the time. It's like, how does it feel that your your deck gets destroyed by one gray one? I was like, damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, 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 thanks. I'm I'm good. I'm we can move on to the next pot or whatever. I, this is so awful. All right. Okay. Well, let's talk about the next deck we have here on our docket. And this is a deck that I know both uh you and Mikey have been kind of dorking around with, playing around with, and a lot of the community, I've seen more and more of this in pods. Actually, I think this might be the most common, like, blue-white deck I've seen in conversations uh, recently, and that is that is Shorakai. I don't know the rest of the text on it, but we talked about it last week when Mikey was talking about what he's working on. It's this, uh, this new card from Neon Dynasty, if you want to go ahead and take that away, gentlemen. Yeah, so uh, Shorakai, I believe, Genesis Engine? Is, sure. is the full name of this card. Um, Washing Machine. Yeah. Ab absolutely bonkers card that I did not think we were going to get this year. Uh, it is a four mana vehicle that is an 8-8. Eight, eight. It's got like crew eight. And uh, the text on this card just says you pay a mana and tap it and you draw two cards in the discard a card. Um, so as we have discussed prior, uh, this does one of the three very powerful things that we want to see a commander do. You Surprise. make some sort of mana... You draw some cards and 
whatever the third one was. I think I hear rumor you get a one one for your trouble too. Yeah, you do also get a one one for your trouble. Um, that that is also a very relevant line of text as we have come to kind of see. Yeah, you get a one one pilot. So the things that people are doing with this now is we have two specific versions. We have a control shell. Um, that usually plays a little more staxy and has some additional creatures in it. And then we have a polymorph list, which is why it making one ones is a critical piece of information. Um, all of these decks are going to be on poly or are going to be on Isorev at a bare minimum, unless you're playing something like Rule of Law, which I just don't think is the way. Um, but then it really comes down to if you want the polymorph in your deck or if you do not want the polymorph in your deck. And I have some specific opinions about that. Um, once again, there was. Coincidentally enough, for Shorakai, it was an eight post thread, so I got to put eight out of eight on the bottom to match the power thumb. That's <laughs> so perfect. Yeah, it worked out very well. Um, and this this commander very much brings to light what I was talking about earlier about our stacks not working well with our game plan, right? Because we 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 obviously can't play the oof effects. We can't do all those things. But the thing that Shorakai lets you do, because your commander is also not a creature, he is a vehicle. You do get to just slam humility in your deck, and shut off like every other deck in the format all at once. You get to play dress down completely freely without worrying about playing your dress down and unlocking the table, right? And 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 this is inherently very powerful. Um, if you're playing the polymorph list, you obviously lose out on your things like your Dranith and your Aven, but you gain these two powerful effects. And most of that thread that I tweeted out was mostly about, is this worth it? And the thread ended with, I don't know. So <laughs> it's still <laughs> being determined. Yeah, it's still a new commander. And I think both decks have their legitimacy. I don't really think one's necessarily better than the others. It's just kind of like you prefer Like if I were to play the deck, for instance, I definitely would do the polymorph version, but that's also just because I love polymorph. Um, but I think the, like, just something to know with Shorakai, so in addition to him being a draw engine, he's also just an infinite mana outlet, and that's something Blue-White's really been missing, is where you have something to, like, do with infinite mana, because, like, Isoceptor is one of the easier card combos to assemble in these colors, and finally there's a commander now that can take advantage of that, and you just draw your deck, and then when your deck in hand, it's very inconsequential how you win. And yeah. it's really helped streamline win cons in this deck, instead of having to... As we talked about with Arbiter, like you need to have either Grave set up with your Paradigm Shift or have like multiple pieces out. It's nice that you can just tutor for two cards and win the game. Yeah, the the uh, the the very very important thing here, right? Much like Arbiter, we want to continue talking about our efficiency in tutors and how they layer, right? So much much like in Arbiter, how we can use our tutors to get things like. And even Mind Sensor is like a stacks piece or like a Ristic Studies of Value Engine or like a future site to try to win the game. Uh, Shorakai gets to do the mid-range control thing, much like Thrasios playing a Seedborn Muse, right? In Shorakai, we specifically get to play Unwinding Clock because Shorakai is an artifact. He's a vehicle. So on each one of your turns, you're going to untap all your artifacts, untap Shorakai, pay a mana, draw two more cards, and discard one. Right. So we, 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 we have a way to get an additional value engine online through this to more efficiently end up turning the corner if we get a, like a really grindy game where we might just not be able to, um, slam out the ice or ever slam like a polymorph. Um, but then also playing polymorph and playing ice, ice, ice rev are just very good combos to be playing with each other because your ice rev wants a higher density of rocks. And then polymorphing into Holebreaker Horror wants you to have a higher density of rocks too, so you can make infinite mana. 
So your card quality becomes very, very good and very streamlined into the process that you want to be playing it too. Well, one card I also want to highlight, uh, we talked about a little bit with Arbiter. Muddle the Mixture is an insane tutor. It gets like all your A's and B's in this deck. Obviously, it doesn't get your Polymorph effects, but it either gets your Dramatic Reversal or your Scepter. It can get Reality Chip, or not Reality Chip, um, Poster Mech if you need to get like a Value Engine in play or like copy someone else's Value Engine. It's just such a versatile tutor. And so many people are like, ah, it's three mana sorcery speed. When you don't have black, this is insane. And the Premium. flexibility of it, yeah, the yeah. flexibility of it is just unmatched in the colors. Like, it helps you get so many things. And I think it really shines in Shorakai because, as I mentioned, it finds either of your A plus Bs or a value piece. And that's yeah. not something to be underrated. My my actual favorite card in this deck, uh, just 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 as we're kind of going down the list here, uh, Out of Time, absolutely nuts in this card. That card's so oppressive. Because you just get to start phasing out people's like commanders. And because you've made a bunch of pilots, they're going to stay phased out for a very, very long time, and you're going to get, get to keep your value engine. So Shorkite enables a ton of very, very powerful cards that you would not be able to otherwise see. Because in other blue-white decks, blanking your own commander is hugely detrimental to what you're trying you, to do. You just lose. Like Yes. Yeah. Also, one thing I want to note, too, with that, when commanders phase out, if they're on the battlefield, they do not, you cannot choose to put them in the command zone. I forgot when exactly they changed this rule, but this has come up in, like, every game I played against Shorakai. So I was like, oh, I can ascend to the command zone. It's like, no, you can't. Phasing out's different because it's not changing zones or something along those lines. It'll stay phased out until those counters are gone or the uh, the enchantment's removed. So, good old, just, good old so phasing. Can... My parents used to complain about phasing. <laughs> they just had no idea how it worked, and frankly, it's quite compli- complicated. Because I think this tech has uh, this. Uh, I'm sorry, this card has kind of the the double trouble. It has phasing on the card, and it has vanishing itself. So it just has like the botha here. So let's uh let's get out of time. I don't know if many people know what this card does. I think it kind of was a little bit of a sleeper in Modern Horizons too. So I'm gonna read the text of this card real quick since it's basically all I have to contribute to this conversation, having played no Shorakai. We have uh, Out of Time here, which costs a generic white-white for an enchantment. It says, when Out of Time enters the battlefield, untap all creatures, then phase them out until Out of Time leaves the battlefield. Put a time counter on Out of Time for each creature phased out this way. And at the beginning of your upkeep, you remove a time counter from this enchantment. When the last time counter is removed, you sacrifice it. So, of course, like you just mentioned, you create all these goofy 1-1s that aren't really worth a whole lot. Well, now suddenly they're time walks on people getting their, their commanders back. Yeah, that, that does seem extremely powerful. Yeah. And, once again, your commander is not a creature. He is a vehicle. So you get to keep your shiny toy and nobody else gets to have it. But yeah, so that's, that's disgusting. Everyone else cries because yeah. they're Croms and Timnas, Thrasios, they're gone. For I've, yeah. I haven't seen this be less than 10 yet. Yeah, very, very, very cool deck. Because um, it also just does the thing where, like, you just wipe the table of all the other hate bears that are potentially stopping you from comboing, right? And then you just go. Um, so that's that's very, very cool. Um, I'm a very, very big fan of that tech. Um, I think uh, DJ Yavi Maya originally was the one who pointed me in the direction of that tech. And it is so hot. It is just gas in every capacity. That's That's super awesome. 
Yeah, no, there's a ton of sleepers, I feel like, for this deck that have kind of come out of nowhere. Like, this Commander's newly printed, this out-of-time cards from Modern Horizons 2. I'm sure you play cards like uh, Solve the Equation or whatever that was just printed. Like, I feel like Blue-White's been getting a lot of really powerful cards. Now, of course, you know, all of CDH kind of got a lot out of Modern Horizons 2. We saw uh, quite a shift when it comes to decks when it came to both Commander Legends and Modern Horizons 2. But shockingly, it seems like Blue-White's kind of kept up, even though the, the meme generically is that White gets no good cards or whatever because <laughs> wizards hates white or whatever but it seems like you know yeah. shark icing has a lot of a lot of potential and sounds like it's uh winning quite a few games for you uh yeah i i funnily enough haven't actually played more than like one or two games with this deck uh just because i've been doing other things and i've been pretty busy but i actually have a new list for it that i had kind of brewed up last weekend just kind of talking to some people that i think is potentially kind of the best of both worlds for this deck um, which I think will be pretty innovative because people are very fractured into the control shell or the polymorph shell. Um, so, so I'm pretty excited for what that deck is doing because it's going to try to be playing both of them in the same deck. That's awesome. Do you have, do you have your deck lists? You, you know, we've gone through a couple decks at this point. Do you have your deck list somewhere or can we get those in the, the show notes or do you have like a link somewhere that we can, yeah, our viewers can find these deck lists, take a look through if they want to try any of these decks? Uh, yeah, I have, I have, I have a mox field that I can, that I can toss you at the end. It's just, my name is just Whimsy. That's W-H-I-M-S-E-Y uh, on Moxfield, and that's where most of them go. A lot of them are private because I usually don't put things on my public facing Moxfield until it has a fully detailed primer of like seven thousand words attached to it. So <laughs> I appreciate the uh, the diligence, but you know these these people they're gonna want to play their blue light cards. You're really hyping up these cards. They're gonna want to give them a try. So. Yeah, There's plenty of blue white lists that are public right now. Yeah, such as Great The Shorkai list and the next list we'll talk about will also be both be going public very, very soon. So awesome, awesome. Can't wait to uh, to get our hands on that. All right. So what else we got on Shorkai? Anything else we want to cover? I mean, it seems like there's quite a few different angles, a lot of incredible enchantments that you get to pick up, things like humility and out of time for the deck that you normally wouldn't want to play, and some of your other uh creature-based commanders, things like whatever uh grand arbiter previously lavinia that you alluded to and all that kind of stuff so it uh, sounds like the card's really powerful it sounds like it has a lot to offer and there's still a lot of uh, development being done on the deck list so exciting stuff brewing in blue white yeah it's a very very cool deck it's been very cool to see so many different people kind of touching blue white and i've been asked a ton of questions about it just at marchesa last weekend i went on like a 25 minute rant about my thoughts on the cards so it's been very nice having people kind of reach out to me and finally getting some of the opinions to be heard or validated in any capacity he's like oh you've been doing this when it was bad tell us about it now that it's good (laughs) (laughs) you you you've been in the trenches for so long tell me what you've learned yeah absolutely but i don't think i have anything else on uh on on short now i think the deck is still pretty new uh i think it got more or less solved pretty quickly because it is just the infinite man outlet then it's just kind of a matter of fine-tuning how you want to approach that game plan so yeah that makes a lot of sense to me layer things a little bit better all right so next up we have a deck that i don't think i'm even remotely familiar with at all which you'll notice is a common theme with all these blue white decks i was not kidding when i said i do not know what i'm talking about which is why we had to bring you the expert on we have tigum i don't know what tigum is or what the text on this card is so i'm going to bring that card up if you want to give a little bit of intro to the deck yeah, so um, funnily enough, uh, Mikey and I have been talking to the lead-up of this, and I think we are both in agreement that this one's probably going to be your favorite. Um, he he does a lot of very cool things. Um, 
he he does suffer from not being a stacks effect in the command zone, so it's very hard to buy time with this commander. But he is probably sure. <laughs> the one. He is he is probably the one that you need to buy the least amount of time with. I I have ended more games in blue white on turn three with Tigum than I have any other deck in CDH. We're 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 talking turn three, turn four, like every game without a really? question. That's really yeah. that's powerful for blue white. I mean, no rituals, yeah. no anything, no fast mana really. I mean, you have the artifacts that we all know and love, but you know, none of the the powerful rituals or mana creatures from green. That's impressive to get enough mana to end the game so quickly. Yeah. So um, the thing that Tygum does is he makes all your spells encounterable. He's a he's a four mana three four that makes all your spells encounterable. And uh, after he attacks or after he's attacked for the turn, every instant or sorcery that you cast now gets rebound. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, two, two, a white and a blue. The same cost as Grand Arbiter, so I'm sure there's a lot of natural comparisons that happen there. It says instant sorcery and dragon spells you control can't be countered by spells or abilities. And yeah, whenever you cast an instant, instant or sorcery, dragons, sorry, kick rocks, whenever you cast instant or sorcery spell from your hand, if Tigum Ujitai Master attacked this turn, that spell gains rebound. Okay, so like, what are we doing with this? Are these like extra turn effects? Do we have any sweet dragons? Like how, how are we ending the game so quickly when you need to wait a turn for rebound? What do we have going on here? Funny you bring up extra turns because for a long time, that's how everyone was building this deck. Yeah, it so seems natural, right? Is, and your deck's is super clunky because you play a lot of dead cards. You play all these like five mana extra turn spells that you are hard to cast or like not as great without Tygum because it's like cool. You time walk, like you time walked and you made an extra land drop, but without Tygum out, they're not really doing much because you don't have the explosiveness of like black decks. And then the dragon text is just not relevant. I guess if you want to be cute or if you want to like appease rebel, you throw in a dragon lord or tie and call it a day. But <laughs> I'm in. Uh, Come on, it's so flavorful. Uh, but. Whimsy took it in a very different direction where it's just you focus on the rebound aspect. And it's, like, pretty intense when you, like, you attack with him and then you cast a Brainstorm and a Ponder that turn. Now, on your upkeep, you get to do that again. Or if you cast, like, a Tutor and a Ponder. And it gets a little bit tricky with stack management, so I'll let Whimsy get more into it. But it's just chaining all your spells and then your upkeep. You have a million rebound triggers and then you're able to finagle a win or find a win somehow because you're just digging so deep into your deck or you're tutoring a ton of cards. Yeah, so so just just for you, Drake, uh, I'm gonna walk you through like the basic Tigum line here. Is they all play the five man extra turns, right? Because when whenever you cast an extra turn in Tigum, you're just going to get two extra turns. Yeah, you right? so basically you're win. Get, like that has to win. Here's my extra turn. Here's my extra turn again, and then uh, all of your combos kind of revolve through Mystic Sanctuary because um, you swing, you put like a Mystic Sanctuary, put the extra turn back on top, draw the extra turn in your extra turn, and you start looping turns. Uh, you end up playing things like Aether Trade Winds. Yeah, um, I've seen spells. some of, makes... some some of them play like cryptic command as well as cool. a way to like tap 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 down any blockers and stuff like that. Um, I I personally think that the Aether trade wins in those cards are kind of your clunky cards. Um, and the thing that I did that we're gonna come back to because I'm just an absolute addict to Shift Lash is we're playing Shift Lash Tigum, um, specifically because Tigum actually does have locking capabilities with cards like Chalice of the Void and cards like Dovescape, right? But the problem is, when you're casting your extra turns, you really need to attack with Tigum, and people will start making birds, and then they'll block Tigum and kind of <laughs> kill them, right? So, yeah. so so, you can't really play play your extra turns and Dovescape. Um, at least that's kind of what I initially thought. Um, and the thing that ends up happening is... 
I'm I'm playing Paradigm Shift because Thoughtlash is our win con. Dovescape is a lock piece, and Ristic Studies are our value engines, right? So now if I cast an Enlightened Tutor and Tygum, I can get any three options that I want at any moment, right? If I need to grind, we get a Ristic Study. If I need to win the game, I get a Thoughtlash. If I need to just say no, everybody chill the hell out, we just get a Dovescape, right? And then my Tygum lets me play through Dovescape and turn the corner however I kind of see fit. Um, and the other thing that he does is Tygum, I will actually go on record and say, is probably the best Paradigm Shift deck in the format. Because he just lets you rebound your paradigm shift. You literally <laughs> have this, yeah, you have this line in the deck where you just go, uh, here's a silence. I'm going to cast paradigm shift, rebound both. If I get back to my turn, I'm going to rebound the silence first. If you want to stop it, right, then you have to specifically counter that, um, silence. The paradigm shift then allows the silence to be put back on top of your deck because it's now the only card in your uh, graveyard because you paradigm shifted once already. And then specifically, you're going to draw that silence in your draw step and then you get to silence again and then you just cast a Thoracle in your hand. So you're going to like double or triple layer the silence to to, to jam your Thoracle. You're like, I'm, I'm going to win. And if they want to counter any of the silences, they have to kill the Tygum, right? So That's awesome. Yeah, I love that a lot. Yeah, the fact that rebound that. comes off in yeah. your upkeep means any kind of whatever top of the deck manipulation comes before your draw. So it's just like timed perfectly. And yeah, that's really cute that you get to fire off the, yeah. your, uh, <laughs> your silence again. That's yeah. So, so basically storm and you white, but your spells yeah. are uncountable. So yeah. it's perfect for you, Drake. You don't have to care about anything. Yeah. yeah I keep forgetting. Yeah. I was like, wow, all this seems a little risky. And it's like, Oh yeah, you have the silence. And also Tygum literally just has the text that your spells can't be countered. And it's not yeah. you know, something risky like Lear where every, every spell can't be countered. So you just play them and die. It's literally only your spells. And that's uh, oh, that's yeah. that's probably pretty good when uh, when they have rebound is they can't be countered. That's uh, there's not a lot that interacts with that well. The other yeah. place is your chalice. You just put chalice on one or two. Now people's removal for Tygum doesn't work. Yeah, and then does the busted things. Yeah, there's all these like awesome locks. There's all these things where like your spells would get countered and they they don't. Do you play that? Uh, what's the weird card that? Oh no, that card's actually banned. Right, the card that like is an actual flip card. That like counters spells yeah. or whatever. Yeah, that card's that, actually just that not card okay. Is very, very bad. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, banned. So, so the interesting thing about Tygum when 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 we dive deeper is, um, I was doing all this and the deck felt pretty good, right? And I was like, yeah, but our when 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 cons can probably be better. So I just threw all the extra turns back in the deck. <laughs> yeah, right? I mean they seem just so, kind of free, yeah. right? It's like they're okayish yeah. cards on their own at five mana. I yeah. wouldn't play any, you know, any higher cost ones, but you mean you see and that in a lot of fair mana. decks. Yeah, yeah. So, so the way that I'm actually winning these games out on like turn, turn three or turn four with Tygum is very, very funny because as soon as I put the extra turns back in my deck, I didn't put any of the bounce spells in. I just put in trade routes, right? Because I can still get that off of my light dude. I can still get that off my ability dude. I can get that off those those cards, and I'm still pretty okay with that. And then we can just do the trade route loop with Tygum anyway and still draw our deck. And then we have the Thoracle in our deck because of our other combo, so we don't actually really need to do anything else. Um, but it's a very interesting interaction when you go, here's my extra turn spell, here's a paradigm shift. And you kind of think about what that does, right? I'm, I'm going to get this 100% paradigm shift no matter what, because I'm going to take my extra turn, just cast the extra turn first, put it on top of my deck so I don't deck myself, here's a Thoracle. Game's over. You don't have to wait a turn cycle for your paradigm shift. You don't got to do anything else. Um, and then this just gave us such a high win condensity that like I can just play Tygum, look at my hand, say here's an extra turn spell, draw a couple times, hit another extra turn spell, hit a tutor, 
draw a couple more times, just keep doing this, and then eventually you'll have a paradigm shift. If you have a Thoracle in your hand, you can move on. And Tiger was also a 3 4, so he's going to be crashing in a lot. He actually attacks. You know, seven hits. That's lethal. Get him. Get that commander I have, damage kill. I have, I have killed people with commander damage and proceeded to, like, not end the game there. I was just like, yeah, I'm just going to hit you seven times with Tigum. There yeah, you go. Kill you. All right. No, 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 I'm one of those people. <laughs> As you I deserve. Because <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> yeah, I was on Armix, and that Armix is pretty good against Tigum, so I, I had to die. Yeah, it's true, <laughs> yeah, actually. So. That's 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 a very cool deck. I've been meaning to publish my list of that for a while. I just haven't really got around to it. And uh, and there are certain times where it's very very hard to play Tigum because the word "your spells are uncounterable" is kind of spooky to a lot of people. So Absolutely. he eats a lot more rebs than like Arbiter. I'm, I was literally thinking that I was like, he has to get blasted just constantly, right? Like there are All no the way time. people let that card resolve. <laughs> he he 100% gets blasted more than Arbiter every single. Like time I play it, right? Because everyone's like, ah, everyone is suffering together. People are deathly afraid of you one tapping with Tygum. It is it is a very scary proposition to leave open. So Yeah, that sounds way more my speed. I can't believe you're teasing me with this. You don't have a public deck list for it. Just unbelievable, honestly. We need to, I'll need make to, beat sure to get it to you. I'll make sure to get it to you personally. I will hand deliver it to you. That's see now now we're talking. This is the kind of <laughs> this is the kind of miscast treatment I need right here. Yeah, this is the, the I've made it, mom. I've made it. <laughs> Yeah. You get some hand-delivered Tygum decks. No, this seems really awesome. It seems like it takes a, a pretty interesting angle. You know, Dovescape's a card that has seen some amount of competitive play, usually alongside, like, Form of the Dragon. Uh, but in general is, like... Playing like Kenrith, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, is not... is not terribly good for rather obvious reasons if you read the card. But, uh, yeah, no. Uh, Tygum being able to just allow you to completely circumvent it and just be like, all right, none of your spells work. All my spells work. Uh, good game. We'll figure it out somehow. I will win the game eventually. Yeah. Uh, it's like, you're not going to kill me fast enough with the birds. Cause I'm also making my own birds. Right. So, like, exactly. Like we'll, we'll, we'll have a little bird off and I also have a three, four. So let's blade. <laughs> yeah. the, the, the actual other implication here is because we're not playing the other trade wins uh, line with all those bounce spells. We actually don't need to attack with Tygum in our deck. So we can actually just do the extra turns loop under the Dovescape with the trade routes. And then we just make infinite birds. We kill people that way. That's sick. Yeah, that's yeah. super awesome. Uh, I like, finally, the last little point I'll touch on this. Um, there's, you know, of course, I like to always connect my 60-card uh, experience to CDH paradigms. I really like your remarks around the extra turn effects where people were going, like, a little too hard on it. Um, and like, you don't really need to do that. You can just like play them as good cards. I think this happens a lot in a lot of different, uh, situations when you're looking at, uh, building decks around powerful cards or even just cool cards. Um, people tend to get a little tunnel visioned on a specific strategy. Like I said, once again, always coming back to, you need to have a plan. You need to have a plan to win the game. You need to have a plan for execution for what your deck's going to do. But sometimes people go a little too deep. There is, there is an extent. And this kind of boils around, you aren't, especially in a format like CDH, I think it's even more exacerbated where you have a 99 card singleton format. You're not always going to have one of your, you know, time walk effects. You're not always going to have your Mystic Sanctuary. Like you can have one of those pieces or whatever, but you're not always going to be able to assemble this. So playing a bunch of redundant uh, Cs or Bs in A plus B plus C combos is just like, 
kind of clunky, fills your deck with a bunch of very mediocre cards. Even if they have some flexibility to them, they probably still aren't playable cards in CDH when you talk about the power level um, of the format. And that's something you harp on a lot is, you know, you need to be very cognizant of your own efficiency of your own cards because you are playing, you know, in general, less powerful cards, but they can kind of work together to produce a more powerful effect. But at the same time, you can't get so tunnel visioned on one thing like taking infinite turns to where you put a bunch of bad cards in your deck. Like, if extra turn effects are already so powerful, especially with rebound, two turns probably equals you winning the game. Like, you'll find other cards, you'll find other things, you don't need to assemble this crazy four-step infinite combo that deterministically kills everyone, just take a couple extra turns and figure it out, because that'll probably convert to a win the majority of the time. And that's, I think that's a really good point to make that, uh, like I said, I've run into before. You know, I'm like, oh, this is a sweet thing. Let me go too hard on it. And then I'm like, oh, okay, time to throttle back. And that's usually how deck building starts. You start with like an idea. You build entirely around the idea. But then when you play some games and you realize you've gone too hard, you need to start throttling back. You need to start iterating on the deck list and taking some of those cards out. It sounds like you've gone through that process with Tygum. And honestly, that's one of the things that makes me most enthusiastic about getting my hands on this deck because it sounds like uh, you had good theory going into building this deck. And even across your iterations of the deck you've played, it sounds like you've uh, you've done a lot of good tuning with the deck list too. So I'm really excited to get my hands on that, uh, give it a try, and you know maybe maybe I'll report back with some some of my own thoughts at some point. I'll have I'll have real thoughts for blue white. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, I I will make sure to get that too. I think you'll like it a lot because at the end of the day, if you're playing a game you're not winning with the deck, you just go here's a ponder, here's a preordain, here's a tutor, and then you just kind of sit there and hold the table hostage. And if it gets back to you, you're like, I'm going to tutor and draw five cards. Yeah, I'm just, oh, look, I'm, I'm about to get this whole there. new hand. Like, good luck. <laughs> it's all uncountable. Yeah. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> we can do this. So, oh, yeah, yeah and at that point, the damage is already done. So if they remove your Tigum there, your cards are already rebounded. You're just going. So it's, okay, it's, it's, you killed that. Okay, fun. these cards are still you. on the stack. <laughs> they may not be uncountable yeah. anymore, but uh, here you go. No, that's it's, that's awesome. It's, it, it's a blast, and I'll make sure you definitely get your hands on it. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. All right. Well, I think that's enough harping about Tygum. You know, I had to I had to say a little piece on it since it, it had me all yeah. hot and bothered. But uh, no, it would. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so easy to read. I certainly have a type in CDH. I certainly have a type. All right. Well, let's continue along. I think uh, you have some some gripes with some of the uh, the other blue white decks that exist, and specifically one that I've brought up a few times because it's one of the ones I think of first when it comes to blue white, and that's. Uh, Lavinia Azorius Renegade, but also, you know, on the list, I know you've said some things about uh, Malcolm Ishai as a as a blue-white pairing, and you kind of have some some issues with that versus some of the other blue-white decks we've talked about. You want to dive into, I mean, you can start with either one. Let's start with Lavinia. What do you, what's what's your issues with Lavinia? What you got? So, I, I think that Lavinia is a very powerful card, right? I think, objectively speaking, Lavinia is a very, very powerful card. And you can't really deny that. Yeah, I definitely where people sick. are casting free spells, they're casting Nosses, they're doing like PETA stuff. Su- su- super powerful card. And I still play Lavinia kind of on a regular, but I have to be very selective about where I play Lavinia. Um, with, with, with more spells becoming uncounterable, more things like Poseidon that just can't be interacted with, um, and even things like Malevolent Hermit that got printed that make your spells uncounterable. So Lavinia's ability just doesn't work anymore. It's becoming a lot harder to play the card. Um, but if I specifically know I'm going to be playing like a super NOS heavy meta where people are just firing off like turn two NOSs all the time, 
that's that's where I'll still play Lavinia. But there's a lot of people that just want to blind jam Lavinia, play like Omen Pool locks, play like I'm going to stop the game and try to just make sure that nobody can do anything. And then you just eventually die to the Najila, die to the Krom, die to a value engine. Um, it's 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 just very, very hard for me to justify that. And when I'm playing Lavinia, I do play Shift Flash Lavinia. And the concept of that deck is we just nuke all the lands. And then we use that as a way to reset and try to buy more time until we can get to our shift flash. But the problem I have with Lavinia boils down to our layering of tutors into efficient win cons. There's no secondary combo with Lavinia in the colors that justifies being quite good enough to play. The only one I came across was like Dream Halls Enter the Infinite. Because Ooh. other people can't cast spells under your dream halls. And then that had to be cut. And then I was playing around with like Eye of the Storm. Because Eye of the Storm plus Lavinia kind of mimics that Duffscape lock and Tigum. And yeah. then you transition the game into like, here's a tutor. My tutor gets removal to kill your Krom. Next turn, I'm going to cast that tutor, cast that removal, get like an MLD spell, cast uh, the tutor, cast the removal, cast the major land destruction. Now everyone is hard, hard locked out of the game. And I can slowly transition that into a win because I can keep kind of chaining these tutors and draw spells and removals to just like slow down the board state. But it's mm -hmm. still just not quite enough. It's not really winning the game. It's more so just like I've stopped everyone. You're kind of locked out of the game. But like if you have like a Kiki Jiki or something or like one of those weird creature combos in your deck, I'm still just going for this. Um, so that's that's the difficulty I have with have with Lavinia. She mulligans better than Arbiter, but does not turn the corner quite as hard. Yeah, I mean, that's going to happen with your commander literally being half the cost. And specifically, I mean, if you read Lavinia, I mean, the card certainly expires. Like, you have this card that's like, okay, you can't cast your free spells, but, you know, and your spells that, uh, you know, cost more than the number of lands you have can't be cast. But, like, people are going to make land drops. They're going to cast more expensive spells that are more powerful. And Lavinia is going to look really small ball in comparison to some of the more powerful stuff that's going to happen on turns two, three, and four of this game that you've effectively slowed down by playing Lavinia. So you've kind of dug your own grave a little bit if you just play Lavinia and that's all you have going on. It's like, okay, well, I slowed the game down. You're not winning on turn one, two, and three. But now the deck that has like the most, you know, expensive cards that for their rate or whatever in turns like three, four, and five is just going to get vastly ahead as they can now cast them. They're now unlocked. And, you know, they're just going to be way more powerful than my my two-mana 2-2 two -two that no longer shuts down their spells. So I, I can definitely see that kind of effect coming up if you don't have a uh, efficient kind of way to seal the game, even if it's not as efficient as some of the other colors. We've talked about, you know, almost ad nauseum <laughs> at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry, that was bad. I probably shouldn't even use that phrase, given, like, even if it fits. But, <laughs> yeah, we've talked about it a, a ton, and... Yeah, yeah, it's not it's not something like like Arbiter, right? Where I can go, here's my turn to Arbiter, here's my turn to Future Sight. If I on top of this Future Sight, the game is going to be over. Right, like, you don't have any of these spells in Lavinia that just, like, let you do this, because I don't have a specific commander centric win con with Lavinia like you do with Arbiter Painter Servant or just playing the Thought Lash after you play the Future Sight. We we only have the one win con in our deck and the other win con we want to use is gonna be like a hard block at like seven mana. So just exactly. like very and that's that's there. that's a good point to bring up too. Uh you know, you really need your commander to contribute vastly to your win condition in blue white because you don't have tutors. Like you can't just assemble two tutors. You're like, okay, I have an A plus B, I win. It's like you don't have enough tutors for that. You really need help out of the command zone to be closing the game if you're gonna be playing colors like blue white that are are down a lot of the commonly played tutors. Yeah, pretty much. And I I think this transitions a little in 
to the Mal Mal Malcolm Shy discussion that's that's pending. Um, <laughs> okay, what you uh, got? Fire it off. So, uh, Malcolm Shy just kind of does the same thing, right? Is our Wincon is going to be play a big bird, and play Malcolm, make mana, which like we have one of our commanders that does this very powerful thing, and I think um, playing like all the curiosity effects in blue white because you get like staggering insight, I believe, is the blue white one. Um, you you do just get to play Malcolm and then you play your curiosity. That's that that that's as good as playing a Malcolm and then playing a Timna, right? Mm-hmm. And like people are a lot less likely to just kind of like blow up your Malcolm when you're not playing red because you don't have Glinthorn. So like you you do get a good mana engine and good value engine there, right? But the nature of these decks wants to play kind of like a rule of law beatdown strategy. But like um, Ishai will eventually get big and kind of hit people, but like can't really stop four people forever. Um, and 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 it just kind of leaves you falling short, right? Like if you want to play Ishai, you kind of have to play Rule of Law, but like none of your blue white win conditions work under Rule of Law, right? Like you can't Isorev because you don't have an infinite mana outlet. Like Paradigm Shift is not great under Rule of Law because you can just Paradigm Shift and then you have to pray to get back to your turn and cast the Oracle. Yeah. Uh, it's just also very very vulnerable. Um, so that's kind of the issue I have with that. Um. And it's just the same exact issue as Lavinia, right? Like, it doesn't really offer anything to turn in the corner. I think the Malcolm is the very good part. Um, and I think the better blue-white partner deck is probably actually, like, Malcolm Arden, um, funnily enough, because that deck just has a very, very sweet combo that somebody came to me with one night and was like, hey, we can just put a Spellbinder in play and put a Nexus of Fate underneath it and then just loop infinite turns because Arden equips it for free. And we don't have to pay the four mana to equip it, but... Outside of that, <laughs> that's that's a lot. There's a lot going on there. That's a lot of expensive magic cards. But I'll take your word for it, Malcolm Arden. I've heard some I've heard some whispers about Arden and Arden's strategies, especially in respect to like the MLC and stuff. I hear there's a few Arden decks going on. Al, so, well, I'm 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 actually going to be revisiting that deck very very soon because Lion Sash and Reality Chip are very broken cards. So yeah, Reality Chip's um, messed up. Master. So, yeah, that's that's very very good. I I will just kind of plug it out there now mm-hmm. because I absolutely love this deck, and I'm sure Mikey will have have opinions about this. Um, is I think if you want to play blue white beatdown, the deck you have to play is Dragon Lord Ojutai, Rule of Law. Uh, it actually, it, for one, it kills Chroms, which is super relevant, and it's a pretty good clock with extra turns and a Rule of Law in play. And if you can give him Vigilance with various different enchantments and things, then he has Hexproof, so it's really hard to remove him. It's one of those things, too, you don't care about removing him until it's like you're almost dead. And then at that point, if a rule of loss in play and you cast your swords or, you know, insert instant speed removal spell here, the white player probably has a counter for it and you die anyway. Yep. Five mana value engines in the command zone. Kind of good, I've been told. Yeah, and, and it's a value engine because it lets you basically impulse every turn. All right, so, so oh, where does, where does Dragonlord Oshitai fall on your, your spectrum of blue-white decks, then? Is this a deck that you think is maybe a little lower, below some of the three decks that we spent a little bit more time talking about? Or is it, you know, is it actually on par with those, and maybe you just haven't spent as much time with it? Where, where do you fall on Dragonlord Oshitai as a strategy? Uh, I, I definitely think it's 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 up kind of with the Arbiter, Tigum, and, um, and Shorakai, because it fills a specific niche that none of those other ones can do. Because you can just play Rule of Law in it, and you just draw cards, and it is just a 5-4. And that's a very efficient clock. And the less players you have in play as you start killing them with Ojtide, the easier it is to control people. Um, and when you're playing Rule of Law, you have enough time 
and this is probably something that that I I can speak to you about Drake is every time you impulse or like anticipate or whatever you want to call the effect where you scry and put a card on the bottom mm-hmm. every impulse time you do that in standard yeah yeah your 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 next version of that effect gets better right and this is something that's been talked about in kind of modern and legacy with things like preordain right where like the more that you scry the better each of your closer like, you get better cards so, <laughs> So, oh, yeah, I played during the Esper Dragon's cool. time of standard, so I have cast a fair number of Ojitais myself. I've been beat up with Ojitais a fair number of times myself. Yeah. I actually just didn't see it when people were like, yeah, here's Dragon Lord Ojitai. It's a CDH commander. It's like, uh... Like, once again, it has the card advantage thing that we talked about, but we're in blue-white. Like, okay, so our plan is to beat down. How do we guarantee a rule of law in a timely fashion every game? We just mulligan to it? It's like, okay, well, then we're mulliganing really aggressively for one of, like, what, four or five pieces? It's like... And then you need also mana to play it pretty quickly? I I, I don't know that I'm still sold. How do, how do you... How does this deck get consistent? Uh, There there are six rule of laws in blue-white. Okay. And our deck is pretty much entirely mana and entirely rule of laws and then entirely counter spells. Right, so all we need to do is get through like turn one or two, and establish the rule of law either on turn one or turn two, right? Hopefully with some counterspell backup because we just play all of our mana, play the rule of law, and then our Ojitai is actually the backup plan. Um, there's very few games where you can actually like, slam the turn one Ojitai because we got like the Jeweled Lotus, and that's great, that feels great. Um, mm-hmm. But but you're pretty much always mul- mulliganing for one of six rule of laws in your deck, um, which 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 is the weak point of the deck is if you can get through the rule of law untapped and kind of establish your foothold. You're in a great spot. Right? Yeah, you just, just start drawing cards, you start anticipating. But that that is the one footfall of the deck. You have to get the get get the rule of law in play and then get the dragon in play. And then hopefully by turn three or turn four, you've started accruing your value um, in the command zone. And this this deck was entirely brewed up as a way to kind of like combat the Krom issue in blue white. Because Ojitai is like the only commander in blue white that will successfully trade with a Krom. And most people don't want to trade their Krom for your dragon. This is just not like a great trade for them, and they usually have other people that they would rather hit. So um, yeah, they'd rather keep their card advantage around because I mean they spent five mana on it. it. Taking you and another player out doesn't accomplish anything. So people aren't really going to offer that trade up very often unless you know the Crom player is just already vastly ahead. Which like, yeah, you know, you're probably just taking the four damage anyway. <laughs> yeah, and most times when somebody's played a Crom, they've invested like a Grim Monolith or a Mana Vault or a Dark Ritual into. So they put a lot of cards into this Crom. It's not really a favorable trade to trade it with your Ojitai, and then often ways we have cards like Sentinel Lies, which uh, just give Ojitai oh, Vigilance yeah. and a plus one, plus one. So then now we trade fav- fav- favorably with the Prom, and then everything goes. It's it's it, it, it's a very fun deck, um, but it's kind of weird to pilot sometimes, but um, it is it has certainly done well for me in that kind of niche area of playing Rule of Law and Blue-White, so... Well, that's really cool to hear. I mean, Rule of Laws are, once again, some of my least favorite cards to play against in CDH by a margin. It's like up there with Tyrannus and Grand Arbiters and what have you. So you're just listing a whole slew of things that sound very anti-Drake and I would lose to all the time. So, you know what? Maybe I'm just a big clown. I'm just really, I'm here for anti-Dragon Lord Ojitai propaganda so that nobody shows up with six Rule of Laws in their effect and just in their deck and just beats the crap out of me. So I'm good on that. So if everyone wants to continue to think Dragon Lord Ojitai is not a CDH deck, that would be super. It's unplayable. Please don't play it. Thank you. Have a nice day. Listen, if you want to be anti any deck, right? If you're so against rule of law, you should be anti Krom because he gets to play the magical seventh rule of law that can target just you. Like like Arden gets to play Curse of Exhaustion and he gets to ruin your life. So if you want to hate anything, you should hate Arden. 
that card sure. is... Sure. I have no problem hating okay, Arden, yeah. too. Hate that card, too. <laughs> there you go. Put that one up there. Arden and Dragon Lord Ojitai, unplayable. Please get back to your regularly scheduled Timna piles. Thank you. Have a nice day. All yeah. right. Yeah. Oh, well... I think that's, uh, I mean, is there any other honorable mentions? I know we kind of shoot in Dragon Lord Ojitai because I, I personally was a little more invested in it. Is there any other blue-eyed commanders that are worth looking at at all in the CDH context? Or have we done a pretty exhaustive kind of coverage of what each deck kind of brings to the table and, and how they're built and some of their strengths and weaknesses? Aside aside from anything I'd use to meme on Mikey about, uh, I think we've covered the ones that I actually recommend people play. I'm not going to plug like a Niambi deck or anything here just just for Mikey so <laughs> for his own sanity <laughs> yeah is there some history here yeah. what, what's your what's your hatred for Niambi <laughs> I want to go into it there's a lot of memes involved and it became it was like quote-unquote the best combo in you white from another meme and then Josh from Elder Drunk and Highlander was like this is awesome but talk about it it's okay. been a long meme of just aggravating me because the deck isn't very good but it was all based on one quote from a random discord at one point in time Fair yeah enough. so so niambi for a long time was the only way that you could play polymorph in blue white so my meme deck literally got killed by shorakai so like i can't even like meme about it anymore it's just like it strict even, like, upgrades yeah. just honestly it's so <laughs> difficult for you so actually i hear Rumor on the street is there's a there's a meme with Shorakai too, right? There's something there's a copy pasta going around. You wanna you gonna dive into that a little bit? What do we got going on here? What's what's that? <laughs> on refer to it as a washing machine because it's like a vehicle, and I don't know he was doing laundry or something like that, and so the copy pasta goes. Tap the washing machine and make a broom broom guy, and he can broom for three, but is a one one. Wow. The washing machine's super cool too. It can wash a lot of clothes, and Tide Spot Tyrant helps washing the clothes with his water. So does Holebreaker. And the broom broom pilot can be fresh as fuck with his fresh new clothes. Then you clamp him. Lol. <laughs> then you clamp him? Oh, that's so sad. Oh, he worked so hard on this laundry. <laughs> yeah, cause skull, cl- uh, skull clamp. Drum more cards. Poor, poor guy. Poor guy. <laughs> Oh, that's tra- the tragic story of or- uh, Shorakai pilots. So, so yeah, yeah, I've I've heard multiple times Shorakai be referred to as a washing machine, and I'm really struggling to see the comparison. But I'll take your word for it. I guess it moves some stuff around. You like tap it, you push the button, and you like move cards around the play mat. That's kind of washing machine esque. So I mean, it has like a motor in it, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 it has a motor. It's basically the same thing. Both run on electricity. Yeah, frankly, yeah, no, you're just right. The tide's bound with the water. Yeah, no, it's a perfect comparison. Thank you, thank you for that coverage. I, I needed, I needed clarification from from the the creator himself. I needed to know how that worked. All right, well, let's uh, let's close the show down. We're fully in meme territory. We have we have nothing else to talk about. Last but not least, what is the best blue white deck in CDH? What you got? All right, I'm. A, you know what? I'm gonna let Mikey go first. What you got, uh, Mikey? For me, for me, I think it's Shorakai. I just think the having the outlet in the command zone is really big, and him being a really good draw engine that's really reliable and super abusable with things like Skull Clamp and Unwinding Clock. I just think that that's insane. And you have so many like one card win now because you just incidentally make these one ones, and then you can polymorph them. You generally have a bunch of rocks or like cheap spells to play. Um, additionally, getting access to Scepter, which as we mentioned is really easy to tutor for. I feel like that makes him the best, but. I would 
I I would like to point out here that I think Mikey's opinion is invalid if the answer is not Arbiter, or we will give him the benefit of saying you can say Dragon Lord Ojutai because it cursed you for two weeks. It cursed you, <laughs> it cursed you for two weeks. I was on like a crazy win streak that had like ten wins in a row, and then Whimsy played the dragon, and we were playing with uh, our friend Cole plays Azami, and uh, Cole kind of threw the game to me in a glorious fashion where he cast like a wheel into my smothering tithe. Oh, um, yeah, he thought it would work. He thought it would work out. And I was just mm. laughing. I was like, are you sure you want to do that? Yeah. Turns Regardless, out 21 treasures. Not really. doesn't really go in the wheel players favor, huh? Okay. Yeah, and so that was that game. Weird. We kind of counted as a wash. So that got me up to 11 and then game 12. I just got to death by a dragon. And then I've lost every game for two weeks straight. <laughs> That's brutal. Just like hot or cold, huh? This Ojitai gave you, gave you the thwacking. All That's right. why it's the only acceptable answer for Mikey. Anything else has not impacted him that severely in in, uh, in my play space. It sounds like you've really <laughs> slogged through a lot of blue-white decks, Mikey. I I don't envy you, bud. They think I know so much about him. I talk to Whimsy all the time, and I play against this shit all the time. There's, that's why you have a Krom in your deck. You're just like, these blue-white garbage idiots have to go. Like, they have to go. <laughs> and I'll still hit them on a red player. That's so toxic. <laughs> Treasonous Ogre is a card, and I know it's in there. All right, since I think Whimsy's opinion is the most valuable, I'll go next. All right, I don't think it's Dragon Lord Ojutai. Spoilers. I I would like to jump in here, Drake, and I would like to let you know that Bergy is not a valid answer for this episode. What? <laughs> okay, all right, look, hear me out. But, like, they're the same things, okay? Remember you talked about top plus, you know, whatever, Grand Arbiter and Painter and all that stuff. Literally, I, I just mentioned, I slipped it in there. Bergy, you know, with Experimental Frenzy, top, same thing. Bergy, you know, you make a copy of Bergy, get the flip side, whatever, top, same thing, you know? Okay, so I really think Bergy, Grand Arbiter, same deck, Bergy counts. All right, Bergy's a great answer. Good answer. <laughs> <laughs> if you were to actually pick one. What, yeah, all right, what all right, all right. Come before, before this episode and before this recording, I think I would have snapped off Lavinia because that's like the card that appears the most powerful to me. And that's probably what I would have put my hands on first if I was approaching blue-white deck lists. Uh, after kind of talking through things, um, I, I probably think Shorakai's also the best. I want to say Taiga, because that deck's sweet. It sounds awesome. But Shorakai, you just said so many words that make sense. Things like humility and dress down just being incredibly powerful. Shorakai, you know, dodging a lot of the creature removal and just kind of being able to be a card advantage engine for the entire game, but for one mana instead of four like Thrasios is. That's a huge difference. And, you know, of course, it makes creatures to block, too, so your life total is not getting pressured. There's just so much to like having this card advantage engine, even if I don't like all the stacks pieces and stuff. So it, it's hard for me to disagree with a, with a Shorakai call here. A card, that card seems very impressive to me. It's a very reasonable take. All right, what you got, <laughs> Whimsy? What you got? Best right. blue-white deck. So the best blue-white deck, I, I, I do think... That I'm gonna have to stick with Arbiter for for I think being the best blue white deck. Really? And okay. and and I've had this conversation with with a couple people, and I think it actually kind of needs to be boiled down. Is um, Shorkai is the easiest entry point into blue white, right? The deck's very upfront with what it wants to be doing. Your decision tree is very straightforward. It's very easy to understand. We play our value engine, we draw our cards, we counterspell the like spooky things, and we play some like hate pieces, and we get there. Um, the the issue I've seen with Sh with Shorakai against some like better players and kind of like very tight play is you're very reliant on to mulliganing into 
your interaction or mulliganing into your stacks piece so that you could get to the point where you can safely cast Shorakai. There are times where you can cast Shorakai. He's, he is four mana. This, this is not an easier barrier to overcome where you cast the Shorakai and then you just get knocked stock and you die. Um, I, I personally think there's a lot of value to be had if, 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 if people want to get the most out of blue white is you just have your stacks piece in the command zone to get your tempo. You play your arbiter and then you can find your, find your mana uh, or ra- rather find your value engine using the mana engine of Arbiter to kind of turn the corner that way. Um, but Arbiter is much, much harder to play correctly, and all of your decisions have to be right along the way. Whereas Short Guy's like, ah, here's a robot, here's an unwinding clock, turn the corner, here's the humility, right? And we do that thing, and then we just kind of grind out our advantage. Um, I think both are very, very good, but it, but, but Arbiter wins by just a tiny bit, because the disruption is so, so powerful within it. All right. I, I like that. I like the, the difference in answer there. You know, even in the notes, it says Mikey and Drake know nothing, ignore their opinions. So, uh, <laughs> I think really that's a, that's a nice, that's a nice TLDR for this entire podcast. It's Drake and Mikey know nothing. That's why we brought the expert on to, to give us a deep dive here of the blue white decks. And it's interesting to me that a card like Gabe has held up for, uh, of course, Gabe, I think is an actual card for magic. So I probably shouldn't call it that. Uh, a card like Grand Arbiter has held up for, so many years I and mean, he's printed in the very very first ravnica block which we've returned to twice and you know is still held up as the best blue white cdh commander that honestly makes the the boomer nostalgic drake really really happy so you know what i'm not dissatisfied with the answer even if i'm dissatisfied with the card i'm probably gonna hate all the answers here i just want out give me ejecto cedo let's let's wrap <laughs> things up here <laughs> if, if if it's any consolation i'm pretty sure shorakai has an ejector seat inside of him so Perfect. All right. You know what? Situation. I chose the right deck. Get me out. Ejecto Cedo. <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, let's close things down. Whimsy, thank you for being an awesome guest. You know, you provided a lot of really awesome insight that I definitely wouldn't have, you know, came up with on my own. Even Mikey, you know, I think he's all his vast knowledge being beat up by dragon lord ojitais and uh grand arbiters i think you know he really couldn't have been as articulate with some of these points if they well they being the audience if the audience wants to find you whimsy where can they find you i i heard moxfield i heard twitter what you got plug it all so moxfield once again is whimsy that's spelled with an e that's w-h-i-m-s-e-y uh, my Twitter handle is I'm Whimsy, so it's just I am Whimsy, spelled the same way. Um, and that's that's where I do most of my talking. I can be found over on the competitive ZDH uh, subreddit Discord. Um, I'm a moderator over there, and I'm usually in, engaging with people all day, every day, so people can directly ping me there. And my Discord handle is Whimsy1810. Uh, so all of those are valid places to find me. Perfect. Makes sense. And remember, if you have questions about blue white, do not ask me. I'm just going to tell you not to play it. So you got to ask whimsy, go, you know, go find them on discord, go find them on Twitter, ask them questions. Do not ask the miscast. Do not at the miscast MTG on Twitter and ask us blue white questions. Thank you, Mikey. Yeah. If people wanted to find you and beat you up with dragon Lord Ojitai's, where could they do that? Um, talk to hell to make an appointment. Ah, okay. Yeah, no. that's right. The secretary, you know, you know, he needs some work to do. He's, he's been slacking. He's been slacking. All right. You know what? We'll make sure make sure to contact Hal to get you uh, some triple Dragon Lord Ojitai pods on your agenda. So that way you can really just relive your glory days. <laughs> All can, right. can, can I grab one last shout out here before I let you kind of wrap into away. our closing remarks here? 
so this this is an open letter to Sheldon Mennery. Um, I know he has a huge hatred for Grand Arbiter. He ruins casual games. I let you know that there is an open invite to the Arbiter server, Sheldon, if you want to come talk about Arbiter. We are all in favor of Arbiter being banned. <laughs> we would like you to free us from this curse and let us move on. Um, so we are very, very receptive to have that conversation. We think everyone wins. The casual players don't have to suffer. The actual Arbiter players don't have to suffer. And then people like Drake don't have to suffer through the deck. So yeah, please free so. me, Sheldon. I'm begging you. <laughs> Wait, so if you all hate it so much, why do you do it? What is this? What is happening? This is all a conspiracy. It's it's been a long history. We can't just pack it up and walk away. That's fair. <laughs> you know, like I said, all that all that nostalgia really just you have to have to keep casting your grand arbiters and just really questioning what you're doing with your life. All right, that's fair. Well, if you want to reach out to me, you want to talk some talk some crap about some grand arbiters, you can do so at viral underscore Drake on Twitter. You can also find me and the I don't know, various CDH discords that I'm a part of. I've been a little more active in the playing with power discord recently. So if you want to, you know, at me in there, you can find me there. Um, and of course you can find me at the miscast MTG. If you want to find both me and Mikey, you can uh, find us on Twitter there, ask us questions and interact with us. So, uh, I appreciate you coming on whimsy. It means a lot. Thank you for covering these holes in our knowledge. And, uh, I look forward to talking to everyone next week. <laughs>